You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. She paints her face to hide her face. Her eyes are deep water. It's not for Geisha to want. It's not for Geisha to feel. Geisha is an artist of the floating world. She dances, she sings, she entertains you. Whatever you want, the rest is shadows. The rest is secret. Hello, my dear friend. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. I'm TK, and you're listening to For the Love of History. We are here together in episode 28, and I have a secret to tell you. What kind of secret, you ask? Well, the secret life of geisha, of course, those red-lipped Japanese icons. We are going to peel back the layers and reveal the truth behind a several hundred year old practice. I know this is a little out of the ordinary, but I want to tell you that today's final thought is a good one. I'll be spilling some hot tea about the author of the famous book, Memoirs of a Geisha. So stay tuned for that. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tell you the secret. So grab your favorite drink, settle into whatever it is you do while you listen to me, and let's get started. So first things first, I'm the realist. No, just kidding. Uh, There's no Iggy Azalea here. So first thing I have to do is clear the air. Geisha are not prostitutes. Not even a little bit. While geisha arose from the courtesan world during the Edo period, they established themselves as part of the entertainment class and were never prostitutes. But I just got a little, I got to add a little side note. In no way do I mean to sound like sex work is not real work because it is and I support them. Okay, moving on. Prostitution, sex work, was legal with proper licensing in the 1700s. This was during the Edo period. But these were held by people called Orion and other sex workers. Orion look similar-ish to geisha, but they're totally different. Geisha were strictly forbidden from holding such a license. If they were found to be providing sex to clients, they would be stripped of their titles and kicked out of their houses. But TK, then how did this rumor start? Great question, my inquisitive little cat. The simple answer is really World War II, horny soldiers, and a gross misunderstanding of culture. During the occupation of Japan after World War II, Horny allied soldiers did what horny people often do and went to the red light district. And there were women there that were dressed in kimono because that was pretty much the typical dress of that time period. Some were just normal, everyday sex workers who were wearing the kimono. And some were wearing kimono inspired by actual geisha. And to be perfectly honest... It can be hard to tell the difference between just a really fancy kimono and a geisha's kimono. So these allied soldiers went and did their thing in the red light district. Then after the occupation was over, they went back to their various countries and they would brag that they had relations with a geisha girl. That's 
what the Americans would say, the geisha girls, when in actuality, they had just been sex workers, regular sex workers. So this idea that geisha were prostitutes just spread like wildfire among all the other propaganda things that had been going on during this time. So that's where it came from. That was the origin of it all. Horny allied forces. <laughs> so that's over. We're good. We've cleared the air. Moving on. So how did these geisha come to be? What is the origin? Many Western people have their first encounter with geisha through various media sources like Memoirs of a Geisha, the book and movie, or anime or manga series, and most touristy things that come from Japan have geisha motifs on them. But the modern geisha are completely different from what they started out as, as <laughs> what they started out as in 1730. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so the occupation that geisha would eventually arise from started in the Warring States period. And if you've been following our adventures in Japan, then you know all about this time period. But if you're new, first of all, welcome. Don't worry. I'll get you all caught up. In the Warring States period between 1467 and 1615, there was a lot of war and a lot of warlords called daimyo. The end. <laughs> well, not really the end, but that's... That's all you need to know for what we're talking about today. Men actually started out as the first geisha. The men that would eventually turn into the first geisha started out as advisors and entertainers to these daimyo dudes, kind of like tactical court jesters. But as the Warring States period was coming to a close and the Edo period was beginning, 1605, Edo period began in 1605, <laughs> The tactical part of these court jester advisors was coming to an end. They were simply doing the entertainment part of their job. And soon they would move from beside their lords to the pleasure districts. In the Edo period, prostitution was 100% legal, like I said, with the right license. So these dudes who used to be advisors and entertainers went down there to assist the Orion, the high-class prostitutes, with whatever it is that they needed. And that often ended up being entertaining the guests while they wait. And that's what they did. They were not allowed to have direct contact with the guests, like, at all. Because the Orion, Orion feared that they would steal customers. And that was a legit fear. Because today... We're not talking about Orion, we're talking about Geisha, right? Right? So, in 1730, that was when the term and position of Geisha was officially established. Women started becoming Geisha, and about 20 years later, women took over the entire position. Even now, in the year 2020, from the top to the bottom, the women of the Geisha world run things. Some of Japan's most wealthy women have come from the Gion district in Kyoto, and this tradition continues to this day. The first rule of being a geisha is don't talk about being a geisha. 
It's like freaking Fight Club. <laughs> Seriously, geisha are not allowed to talk to anyone outside of their world about what life is really like. You have to get super, super duper special permission to film or interview or even have a meeting with geisha. And that is rare. So the secrets are aplenty. There are geisha houses all over Japan, but we're going to talk about one specific district today, which holds the deepest and most strict traditions of the geisha, and that is the Gion district in Kyoto. So when we talk about geishas in Kyoto, we're, at, we're, we're really talking about geiko. Geiko and geisha are the same. The only difference is dialect. It's like pop and soda. And by the way, if you say soda, you're a monster. It's pop. It's definitely pop. <laughs> but I digress. Because we'll be talking about the Gion district specifically, I will be using the Kyoto dialect and calling these women geiko. So like I said, Kyoto holds the longest and most strict geiko traditions. There are only about 1,000 geisha in the whole country and only 200 geiko in Kyoto. But the geiko are the centers of a vast economic and social community. From head to toe, hundreds of hours and millions of yen are spent creating a walking, talking doll. That is the geiko. Training to become a geiko starts at 15 or 16 years old. There are special laws and regulations put in place in Kyoto to exempt girls from school while still ensuring that they are taken care of and receiving an education. And boy, do they receive an education in the arts. And it all starts out like this. A girl will ask to become something called a shikomi-san, a girl in training, for about a year to learn a tradition and manners of the geiko, as well as the Kyoto Gion dialect, because there's a whole different dialect and way that people speak there. So after the year, if you're still interested in being a geiko, then you ask the okasan or house mother, and she decides if you're worthy or not. If you pass, then congratulations! You start your 24-hour, 341-day-a-year. They get 24 vacation days a year, so that's, that's why it's not 365. <laughs> so you start your training for a minimum of five years. During this time, you are called a maiko, which translates to dancing child. You train hard every single day. You train in flower arranging, dance, shamisen, which is a kind of like Japanese guitar, conversation, how to pour drinks, how to walk, how to sit, how to hold a fan, how to point your finger in a delicate, graceful way. You learn how to walk, how to stand. You learn how to play drinking games and also how to be the embodiment of grace while taking the piss out of your customers. Oh, are you surprised? Did you think that Geiko would uh, be very demure and only a pretty face and just look nice while pouring alcohol? Well, I kind of did too, friend, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And it's all good. We're learning new things together. That's what life is about. 
So intelligence and wit is highly sought after in the gay goal world. In a documentary that I was watching this week, I'll put a link in the show notes because it's so good. A house mother said that she would rather accept a smart and funny, plain-looking girl than a great beauty because you can paint beauty, but you can't paint brains. Oh, snap. Sassy grandma. (laughs) So in this world, your beauty won't bring you customers. Your conversation will. The more you tease, the more you poke fun, the more you make your clients laugh, but also show that you are an intelligent person, that will keep them coming back and you'll be a successful geiko. Successful geiko. We're having a day today. Another reason you need to be intelligent if you want to be a geiko is that no topics are off limits in a party with a gay girl. You have to participate in conversations about politics, religion, sex, drugs, and rock and roll or whatever. Anything. Just anything is on the table as long as you're having fun and as long as you're creating a stimulating conversation. No topic is off the table, which is not typical of regular Japanese culture. And to be perfectly honest, it's not typical in most cultures, like, you know, at Thanksgiving and Christmas or any other place where you gather as a family. You're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but you should. You really should, especially politics. Make those racist family members sweat a little bit. Mm, Do it. Anyways, moving on. So basically what I'm getting at is you have to be a smart little cookie to be a geiko. You got to be sharp to keep up with all the things that a Maiko has to learn to become a Geiko. And everything that the Maiko learns is to help achieve one singular goal. Make your client have a great time and feel as appreciated and relaxed as possible. From the witty banter to the way drinks are poured to the food that's served to the way the flowers are arranged to point in the direction of the guest of honor, it's all done to create this dream world with a dream hostess. Side note, one thing that I think is hard for a lot of people outside of Japan to understand, myself included before I started researching this, why would someone pay an exorbitant amount of money for this service just to just to really have a great conversation with somebody and in one documentary i was watching watching this week was a documentary heavy week one of the house mothers said that the clients are paying for that dream that brief rendezvous with perfection everyone involved in the transaction knows that it's not reality and that's okay with them as long as they can live in that floating world for a brief moment. The geisha world is run exclusively by women, and geiko of Kyoto are even more strict about this. But their clientele is almost exclusively stupidly wealthy men. So what do geiko really do as their job. 
What all goes into booking a geiko for a party or a banquet? Well, I'll tell you. All geiko reside in their respective family houses called okia. This is where they live and they train, and the majority of their job is done in the family's ochaya or tea house. However, sometimes geiko do travel to different places and accompany clients to different events. It just depends on the event on the day. All right, roger that, TK. I'm stinking rich. I'm just going to go order me a geiko. No, no. Sorry, friend, but you cannot. Any rich Joe Schmo can't just hire up himself a couple of geiko and call it a day. Every single client who wishes to hire a geiko must first go through an interview process with the okasan. And if the okasan or mother of the house doesn't find you worthy, then no amount of money will get you in. That's just the way it is. But if you are accepted, you will book your chosen geiko or one will be assigned to you depending on the event that you want. And she will always be accompanied by her imoto or younger sister, which we would call a maiko. And with them, any number of performers or musicians would accompany them. It's just whatever the occasion calls for. All right, so now you're all booked. You've got everything planned. You're good to go. What does a geiko do to get herself and her sister ready for the event? So during the day, the women and the girls go about whatever training or business they have. The maiko will go to music lessons or dance lessons or calligraphy classes or some kind of training. And the geiko will sometimes go to the city hall to check their schedules or to register their recent pay stub, whatever, whatever it is that they do in the day. <laughs> but at 4 p.m., everyone will return to their okaya to get ready for the evening's appointments. They will first have a light dinner or a snack as geisha are not allowed to eat during any appointment, even though their clients will, but they must drink at these appointments. And you know, Nobody wants to drink on an empty stomach because the geisha are expected to hold their liquor. So you got to get something in your tum-tum. So after that, they will apply their makeup, which usually takes anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And I found a really interesting video about uh, Geiko applying her makeup. Geiko and Maiko makeup is very different. So I'll also be um, putting a blog post on the Instagram about the differences and I'll put the link to that uh, makeup video on the show notes. So be excited for that. <laughs> but I digress. From there, after their makeup is done, a dresser will come by and help each woman get dressed as their kimono and obi, the thing that ties around their waist is called an obi. They're really, really hard to put on by yourself. Like the simple, easy ones. And Geiko and Maiko obi are like pfft, next level. They're amazing. 
So the dresser will come and the Geiko and Michael will have most of their things put on except for tying everything up. And after years of experience, a dresser can dress each geisha or Maiko in only five minutes. And that's good because there are two dudes in all of Gion that dress 200 Geiko and Maiko every single night because these ladies are booked solid from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. So Mr. Dresser gots to be fast. Geiko and Maiko will not return to their okaya until anywhere between 1.30 and 2 a.m. They'll go to several different appointments. It's not all just one long appointment. Some will be intimate bar things. Some will be at the tea house. Other times they'll go to big banquets. It just depends on the day and the occasion. So after they return, they'll take a bath, they'll wash off their makeup, and once they're all done, they'll usually relax for a bit and unwind from the day's events. And uh, most geisha and Maiko don't go to sleep until 3 o'clock in the morning. So after exactly 7 hours of sleep, they'll do it all over again the next day. For the most part, Schedules are the same, but sometimes schedules will change. Maybe you'll have a day off, something like that. You'll have fewer lessons in the day, like on Sundays or something like that. But for the most part, it stays the same. So in that same documentary with the sassy old lady, you can see a glimpse of what one event is like. And I highly recommend that you check this out because at this particular appointment <laughs> this geiko rented out an entire freaking temple which who knew who knew you could do that i didn't know that you could do that that must be so expensive but here's the thing during the night Nobody talks about money or the invoice or how much it's going to cost. All of that is done the next day because after the appointment, everyone goes home, they wash, you know, they take a tub and they're just in this floating dream world. They feel so good and talking about money would just spoil the mood. So whatever the cost is, the clients are willing to pay for it. They're really just willing and totally able, because they're filthy, stinking rich, to pay for a few hours to live inside a dream. So let's take a second and circle back to something that I said earlier. Geiko are the centers of a vast economic and social community, and that's true of the past and the present. Although smaller in number, Maiko and Geiko still exist to this day. From head to toe, they are dressed to the freaking nines. From kimonos to getting their hair done, to the accessories they wear in their hair, the special pillows they use to sleep to keep their hair nice, the makeup they wear, the fans, the shoes and umbrellas and purses, and literally everything else the Geiko and Geisha of Japan wear. 
comes from specialty stores that have been around for hundreds of years, and they're the last of their kind. This is doubly true in Kyoto. Without the patronage of the Geiko and Maiko, these traditional goods and services would have no customers. Who is gonna pay $10,000 for several hand painted kimonos? Not me, would love to. However, I cannot. <laughs> so, if there was no one to be buying these $10,000 kimonos, then there would be no customers and therefore no income, and these places would be forced to close. And all of those traditions would be lost. That art would be lost. So through the geiko and the geisha, the art and tradition of a time long gone is preserved in a mysterious, perfected way. Oh my goodness, friend. We have come to the final thought. And the tea, she is hot. We're talking about Arthur Golden, the author of Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh boy, this man is uh, not, not among my favorite human beings. So let me tell you what happened. You know the book, Memoirs of a Geisha. If you don't know the book, you probably saw the movie. Well, what if I were to tell you? that the majority of the stuff that he said in that book was complete bullshit. There is no selling of a Maiko's virginity. That doesn't happen. That has never happened. You know, you listen to the podcast. There is no connection between geisha, geiko, Maiko, or anything, and prostitution. So he flat up, flat up, flat out lied. In a lot of his book, where did he get his information? Did he just make it all up? Well, my friend, he got his information from the 1980s most prestigious geiko of Kyoto named Mineko Iwasaki. She was retired at the time when she met Arthur Golden in 1992, and she agreed to be interviewed on the condition of complete anonymity for her and her family and total confidentiality regarding her personal stories and her family's experiences. Because what's the first rule of being a geisha? We don't talk about being a geisha, right? They signed paperwork, non-disclosure acts, whatever it is that you need to sign so people don't tell your secrets legally. And they spent over 100 hours in interviews. But guess what freaking Arthur Golden did as soon as his book was published and as soon as his movie or his book got a movie deal or whatever. He freaking told all the interview people about Mineko by her name. So he he broke all of those non-disclosure acts. He 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 broke everything. And it got Mineko in a lot of trouble. She was disowned by the Gion Geiko community because she broke the first rule. 
So in 2001, she sued his ass for defamation. It was a long and hard fight. And things were finally settled out of court in 2003. Now, I could not really find any information about how much money she got or what really happened outside of the court, but she did go on to write two books that I highly recommend. They're way better than Memoirs of a Geisha. So she wrote two books, one called Geisha, A Life, and the other called Geisha of, or The Geisha of Gion. So once again, her name is Mineko Iwasaki, and I will leave links to her books in the show notes. So mm, she got back at him either by winning a lot of money from that settlement or and or getting a lot of money from her books. So go support her. Go read her books. And um, yeah, that's the final thought for today. Some hot teats. Yeah. So that is all I have for you today, my friend. I hope you enjoyed our final adventure in the land of Japan. If you did enjoy today's podcast and you're listening to Apple Podcasts, I would, listening to, listening on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review or give your girls some stars, share this episode or any episode at all with your friend or your neighbor or your mailman, anybody. Word of mouth is the number one way uh, podcasts get discovered. And number two is reviews. Mm -hmm. So your review or recommendation could help another history lover find this little old podcast. So once again, thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, make good choices, drink your water, and I will see you on Christmas day for my gift to you. Episode 29, Folklore, Winter Witches from Around the World. Okay, see you. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>